0: Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. We
1: jump into the time machine for Throwback Thursday, and because this is normally NCAA tourney time, we're going to flash back to the best big dance days in Houston history. A couple of years ago, ESPN did a 30 for 30 on Phi Slamma Jamma. You may remember that one. And when the documentary came out, I caught up with a member, of the Five Slamma Gemma fraternity, Reed Geddes. You're about to listen to Geddes' reminiscing about Akeem Elijahwan, Clyde Drexler, Guy v. Lewis, and Michael Young. A big part of that 30 for 30 doc was the search for the mercurial Benny Anders. So you'll hear what Reed has to say about that. I also asked him what it was like to play against Michael Jordan's North Carolina team. Wow, so much good stuff here. He also shares anecdotes about James Worthy and that unforgettable Louisville game. So let's jump back into our time machine and hear from the old Houston Cougar point guard, Reed Geddes. On the 18th of this month, the 30 for 35 Slamma Jamma documentary debuts on ESPN. I'm so excited to see this and joining us is a member of that exclusive fraternity, Reed Geddes, who I believe is still the all-time assist leader for the Cougars. Thanks for joining us on the line, Reed. And do I I have that right? Are you still the assist leader? Yeah. Yeah, it's
0: hard to believe, but I think that's right.
1: (laughs) As much as anybody, you've kind of become the Phi Slamma Jamma oral historian. And as I was thinking about this more than ever, we need to tell the stories and put it into context because I'm in my 40s. And you can't be much younger than me to remember those teams. Were you as excited as ever when ESPN called and wanted you to relay the tall tales all over again? You know,
0: it's interesting. The guy that did it, his name's Chip Reeves. I think I'm pronouncing the last name right. It's R-I-V-E-S. He's a native Houstonian. You know, there's been so many kind of urban legends that have developed over the years. And most of it has been from the perspective of the NC State program. But it's funny because some of the stories have just grown and grown and, they're, and, and they are grossly inaccurate. And so when Chip called me originally and said he was thinking about doing this and, and would I be on board, I was more than a little skeptical because I, you know, I didn't know his perspective. And, and the last thing I wanted was For somebody to come do something that was even remotely critical of coach lewis and so he and i had a bunch of discussions about that and what you know kind of thematically what his approach was going to be what he was hoping to communicate uh, beyond just telling the story he really sold me he is an amazing producer his research was just off the charts i mean we i sat down with him for about four hours one day and he told me so many things that that it was amazing, Robert, where I'd go, is that right? I don't remember <laughs> that. You know, he'd pull out a box score, he'd pull out an article, or he'd pull out – he just did an amazingly thorough job of researching those teams in that time period, and I'm excited to see it.
1: Just for the record, I, I won't even watch the 30 for 30 on Valvano and the NC State team. I, I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You know, let me tell you you an interesting story about that. And so the the producer of that one called my house, you know, and said, hey, I'm trying to get in touch with your husband and told my wife what he was doing. And my wife's learned, you know, over the years that somebody calling from NC State, there's a good chance I don't have any interest in participating. And it's funny because she said, yeah, he's probably not going to want to do that. And the, the guy that was producing that one didn't give up. And he said, well, let me ask a question. He goes, he goes do you ever do you and your husband ever watch any of the 30 for 30s? You know, I was like, well, yeah, you know, you know, we've watched a couple of them. He goes, "Well, wh- which ones have you watched? And she goes, well, why are you asking? He goes, well, because I I want your husband to see the work, uh, the quality work of, of what my team puts together. And he, he goes, the most recent one that we did was the one of Marcus Dupree. And man, it was unbelievable. My wife goes. My husband will call you uh, in the next five minutes. The guy was like, "What?" And it turns out my wife went to high school with Marcus Dupree, and oh, wow. she grew she grew up with Marcus. And so watching the Marcus Dupree Thirty for Thirty was like was like a, a biographical sketch on my wife's life. I mean, every person interviewed, every story she she lived through, and she knew. And she was so moved by how accurate and how fair and good that piece was. She laughed. She goes, yeah, I might as well play in five minutes. <laughs> so, so you can guess what I did. So I called five minutes. And uh, it ended up being a part of that. And, and I wasn't too thrilled with, you know, same old thing. They just, there, there's so many things that, you, you know, people think are accurate and they want to read into it because it's kind of, you know, history revision. Uh, but it was interesting being a part of that one as well. Hey,
1: we just found out Benny Anders, they found him, and here he'll appear in the film. It's one of Earth's great mysteries, where he was. Are you excited they finally found him, or does it take away some of Benny's lore? I mean, it's it's not as fun when you know how Houdini made
0: the building disappear. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good perspective. You know, here, here's the reality, and I don't mean to be over-dramatical. I'm glad he's alive and healthy and safe. yeah. Um, because it it was such an incredible mystery, and the stories were really fun, and uh, everybody wondering, and it's interesting because Chip called me and asked if I would go, um, Eric Davis and I were going to go down to Louisiana and spend about a week, you know, trying to find him together, Uh, and it turns out I had a trial and couldn't do it and needed him to move it back, and he couldn't move it back, and so Eric went, um, Eric Davis and Lyndon Rose went down there, you know, talking to those guys. I'm interested to see that piece because that was an insert after they finished all the filming. And Chip was convinced that to, to completely tell the story of those teams, he needed Benny or needed to at least find him. When I talked to Eric and Lyndon last, you know, the trail left off in Detroit, Michigan. And at that time, there wasn't any plans, or at least Chip didn't reveal any plans to go to Detroit and keep looking. So I'm I'm fascinated. I talked to Chip about two weeks ago, and he told me he finally got a release date uh, of the October I think 18th, and, uh, and he said I got a surprise for you. And I was like, What's the surprise? And he goes, I can't tell you. And I said, Well, man, that's a bad teaser. When when do I find out the when do I find out what the surprise is? <laughs> He said, he said, you'll definitely find out on the 18th, but probably before then. So when the story hit a couple of days ago, man, I, it was about 11 o'clock at night when I saw it on Twitter, fired him off a text message. And I go, I assume this is your surprise. And he sent back, you know, LOL. Yeah, it is. So it's really cool. It's going to be fascinating to hear where he's been and what he's been doing. And this day and age of social media, how in the world does he stay, you know, how has somebody not said... You know, hey, I'm in a restaurant with Benny Anders. <laughs> it, it, it's a great story. How good
1: was he, and how strange was he? For those who don't know who Benny Anders was or or his
0: legend. Okay, so so let me put it into context. If 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 you sat down with Drexler and, and you talked to him about Michael Jordan, he would. And part of this is what made you know Clyde so great. He would not concede one inch that Jordan was better than him. He just wouldn't. I mean, he, he would not, he would never say, you know, you you know, I couldn't hang with Michael or, you know, Michael was better in in no shape manner or form would Clyde ever admit to that. Having said that, I, I I've sat at a dinner table and and listened to Clyde tell people, Benny, he used to kill me in practice. (laughs) So there there's your context of your skill set. I mean, Benny was, he was an inch shorter than I was. He's about 6'5". I think that's what they listed him at. And if he and I stood toe-to-toe, flat-footed and raised our arms straight up above our head, my fingertips would come to the base of his hand. He had this remarkable wingspan and had a legitimate, bona fide, 40-inch-plus vertical leap. And wasn't just a leaper. I mean, he had this beautiful release and just a picture perfect jump shot. I mean he was he was an absolute freak um, with his skill set and his ability to play basketball. So I guess that's 20%. That's 20% of the story.
1: <laughs> but he would pull a gun on you or is that is that one of those stories that we hear?
0: <laughs> no, he he I was in the gym the day he did it. Um, we're playing pickup, arguing over somebody arguing, a guy from TSU and Benny arguing over who had next up. And the guy went over and acted like he was going to grab this track, you know, starter blocks. So Those starter blocks, we were over in Jefferson, over in Robertson, I mean. Guy grabbed it, you know, like he was, you know, like he was going to hit Benny with it. And Benny just calmly walked over to his bag, and pulled out a gun and pointed it at him and said, I got next up.
1: What was it like during those layup lines before the game started and the visitors' GMs? If you could put us there, describe the reaction you'd get from the crowd.
0: You know, it's funny because we we were maybe Golden State, but not from the standpoint that, you know, we were as great as Golden State. Um, but Golden State's one of those teams that everybody wants their home team to beat, but you don't really hate them, right? I mean, you go and you want to see Steph Curry shoot the ball and, you you know, you want to see, now you're going to want to see Kevin Durant hype. So you go not only hoping your team upsets them, but also to see the show. And and that's what it was like back in those days. You know, there there would be huge crowds. And other than Fayetteville and, and College Station, you didn't really feel a lot of hatred. There were a lot of oohs and ahs and cheering, you know, when spectacular plays were made. And so it was a unique team.
1: Boy, there's a lot of set of circumstances that have to go into making a team like this, but – for those who don't remember or might not know, the slam dunk was outlawed from the late 60s until 76. Can you imagine, Reed, if you guys had come along six years earlier? This never happens.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that's right. Or or maybe a better question is, what would it have been like and would this team have come along before then? You know, you think about Elvin's teams and Don Chaney and... You know, all those guys, Theotis Lee and those guys that played during the time period when when dunking wasn't allowed. And it wasn't that Guy Lewis just suddenly started recruiting athletes that could dunk. You know why that rule was in place, right?
1: Because of Lou Alcindor and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, I believe.
0: Yeah, that's what a lot of people say. and, And the reality is because it would be hard to replace backboards and rims during that time. And so if you allow dunking and that's why for a long time they didn't allow it in warm-ups, even after they allowed it in games, because they didn't want anybody bending a rim and then having to replace the the rim or the backboard in the middle of the game. And then it became a rule, uh, an NCAA rule, that you had to have backup equipment on site. Well, since we're
1: talking about Duncan, let's talk about the man, Akeem Olajuwon. You see him for the first time.
0: Uh, what do you remember about that? Skinny. Skinny. <laughs> Yeah, he was just he was so skinny. You know, And it's funny because Akeem showed up and I think he got here maybe in December or January, but mid semester and they redshirted him because he was just he physically wasn't ready to play. So that December that he showed up uh, and they decided to redshirt him for that one semester instead of burning a year just to play a semester. I was a senior in high school. The day that Coach Lewis and Coach Swarok came out to my house for a home visit was the same day that the old Houston Post ran an article on a team. And he's on the front page and, you know, hanging on, hanging off the basketball standard and just looked like he, arms and legs that just went forever. It was interesting because we were, uh, you know, my dad and I were talking about it. He, my dad was talking to I wonder what it would be like to play with that guy. And so when Coach Lewis and Coach Swarok were in my house that evening, my dad and I and mom, we were sitting around talking to them. And I said, hey, can I ask a question? And they were like, yeah, sure. I said, what about this Aki Olajuwon guy? You know, and they both kind of looked at each other and smiled. And Coach Lewis goes, well, what about him? I said, is he any good? And they smiled and they go, not yet. <laughs> and I said, but, but you think he's going to be good? And they smiled, you know, with this, this, you know, knowing look between them. And Coach Lewis goes, yeah, we think he's going to be pretty good.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, whatever happened to him? Hey, Guy V, the memorial service, you did a fantastic job uh, doing the eulogy. And it was, it was great to hear the memories of coach. What do you remember about meeting him for the first time? I know you played down the street at Memorial High School. Did, Did he come see you play?
0: The first time I met him, I would met Coach Swearock before I met Coach uh, Lewis. But we were playing, my high school team was playing a playoff game in Hall Fines Pavilion. The only school I ever wanted to go to uh, was Texas Tech. My dad is, was a four-year All-American at Texas Tech. And so I grew up dreaming of playing for the Red Raiders. And so we're playing a high school game, a uh, playoff game against Madison And Eric Dickens, who ended up being a U of H teammate, you know, was the star for Madison. And so we're playing, I'm I'm at Memorial. So we're playing Madison in this bi-district game and warming up, you know, I look over at at the table down on the court and Gerald Myers, the coach of Texas tech and guy Lewis are sitting there next to each other. I didn't think anything else about it. We played the game. Uh, We ended up losing at the very end. Coach Lewis overheard, Gerald Myers was very, very honest and very, um, you you know, transparent, and he didn't play any games. And he came up to me and just said, you know, sorry about the loss. Basically said, I don't think you can play for us at Texas Tech. And Coach Lewis walked up right behind him and said, do you know who I am? I was like, yes, sir. (laughs) You know, I'm a native Houstonian. He said, well, you may not be able to play for Gerald Myers, but you can play for me. And that's the first time I met him.
1: Yeah, that's great. What do you remember about the 82 Final Four? You go up against James Worthy and then a baby-faced kid named Michael Jordan. But Sam Perkins, if I remember, was the guy that really gave you
0: trouble. Really, uh, I think he had 25
1: points that game.
0: It's funny. I don't remember Jordan at all. I remember Perkins and how good he was. But the guy that we were concerned about was James Worthy. And Worthy had, I can't remember what his numbers were, but I I know he had a good game, but not spectacular. But he did something that I never saw anybody do and never saw anybody do again. Worthy catches the ball out about 25 feet on the left wing, makes one jab step towards the baseline, and comes right across, I mean, mean just right across the middle of the lane. And there's nothing in between him and the basket except Larry Mishaw. And James Worthy took off and dunked so hard on Mishaw. I mean, just absolutely cranked one. And all of us on the bench looked at each other and went, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Did you see that? <laughs> I mean, we're trying hard not to laugh you know, or give each other a high five for a play from another team. But let me tell you, nobody dunked on Mr. Mean. I mean, nobody not in practice, not in games, not, you, nobody dunked on Larry Mishaw, uh, except James Worthy. And I, I'll never forget that play and just how all of us on the bench were like, oh my. <laughs> and
1: he had those big hands the way you describe Benny's hands. You know, he had those, uh, it seemed like he, the
0: the ball was like a Nerf ball in his hands, right? Yeah, just, just awesome. But, you know, he was six nine and smooth and started out on the wing and could handle and the only thing I remember about I remember I remember Perkins was really really good. I don't really don't remember Jordan at all. You know, Jordan hit that game winning shot in the championship game, and, and that's kind of when everyone started talking about Michael Jordan. But in the semifinal, I just don't remember much. But man, worthy! You just it, he was the real deal.
1: But you got to remember the Louisville
0: game, right? What what was it like to be involved in that one? The thing that jumps out at me the most was you had two teams that played the exact same style with the same strengths, the same weaknesses. There was nothing gimmicky. It was absolutely just mono-e-mono. Just, we're going to come out and we're going to trap and press and run it down your throat. We're going to jam the accelerator down to the floorboard and we're going to keep it there for 40 minutes. And they came out with the approach, we're going to press and trap and run and jam the accelerator down to the floorboard and, and run it down your throat. You know, it's interesting, Robert, in, in the – I haven't seen the 30 for 30 yet, um, but I'm not very good at, at hyperbole um, just because I've – I guess because I've called college basketball free SPM for the last 30 years. But I'm not very good at saying, oh, we changed the game, or we were the greatest team that never won. Or, But there's a lot to be said for that game simplifying the game of basketball and and having an impact on the way it was played going forward. It's interesting how many coaches, you know, what what was once deemed as undisciplined run and gun. It's amazing how many of the concepts and the presses and the traps and the free-flowing offense and emphasizing transition. It's amazing from that game forward how many programs and teams and coaches adopted that philosophy. Well,
1: I'm gonna putting off the NC State for as long as possible because I don't want to talk about it just yet, but <laughs> I'm gonna, I, I do have one question, but I want to ask you because Rodney McCray was on that Louisville team, and in a few months, he ends up getting drafted by the Rockets, and now everybody in Houston was upset. It turns out rightly so because the Rockets passed up Clyde. Were you stunned when that happened, when they didn't draft Clyde and they drafted Rodney?
0: No. I mean that that's history revisionism because Rodney coming out of college was a better player than Clyde. People forget Clyde couldn't shoot outside of about about 8 feet. I mean he he was a 6-7 power forward. Uh you know, he dribbled looking at the ball, he had his head down, he he couldn't shoot a jump shot. He just had this phenomenal motor and this incredible athleticism and Clyde made himself into a Hall of Famer. You know, he had the skills and that, you know, the athletic God given athletic ability, but he turned himself into a scorer and into a playmaker. And really, you know, I hate to call him a shooter, but, but, you know, he was, and he had none of that in college. You know, that just isn't who he was because Clyde was a teammate. If I was a GM, you know, I'd have taken Clyde. Uh, But the reality is I bet if you put 10 GMs in the room, I bet eight of them would pick Rodney over, over Clyde back then. And it's fun because Rodney, because when the Rockets drafted him back in those days, we spent so much time playing pickup ball with the Rockets and all their guys that, that we all became really good friends with Rodney. I think everybody on our team, you know, would consider, you know, Rodney being a really good friend and he's such a good dude. And it is fun to hear him tell stories, you know, kind of like, We have our perspective of the NC State game. You know, Louisville has their perspective of of our game. Um, And so it's been – it was fun over the years to hear him laugh and joke and talk about that game.
1: Yeah, I was wondering if you'd got to know him because, of course, yeah, he he made his home in Houston for a while. And then he gets traded in the deal that gets the Rockets So does Thorpe. They win a championship with him. Then Thorpe gets dealt for Clyde, and we know how that ended. Did it mean something for you when you saw Akeem and Clyde win the title in 95?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, it was great. So I I guess I I have from several different perspectives. My family had rocket season. I'm a native Houstonian. And my family had rocket season tickets from the first day they came from San Diego. So we used to have uh, season tickets when they played over at the Coliseum and then they played a year or two at Hawfein's Pavilion before the summit was built. I was a diehard Rocket fan ever since I remember back to age five or six, you know, growing up with Mike Newland and Murphy and Tom Janovich and Otto Moore and Rudy White and Cliff Neely and, you know, Jack Marin. So I grew up, you couldn't have had a bigger Rocket fan than our family. So number one, you know, the fact that that they were in a position to win a championship, but then add add to it, you know, two teammates um, and two guys that I couldn't have been pulling harder for. Uh, Boy, that was just what a a special time that was, uh, not only in the city of Houston, but also for the University of Houston alumni. Let me ask you about NC
1: State. And forever and ever, we'd see the end of that game during the NCAA tournament. And most of the time, when you lose a game as a player, you, you don't have to relive it over and over again nationally did it make it hard for you to watch the tournament at times when you never know when they're going to show that ending one more time
0: no uh look, let me tell you the funniest time that i saw that ending so i played one year in the cba um with the albany patroons our point guard for the albany patroons was Sidney lowe oh yeah and everybody everybody credits you know, of course, uh, Lorenzo Charles for catching the air ball and dunking it. And everyone talks about Derek Wittenberg, who was their best player and Kozel McQueen. The guy that won the national championship for him was Sidney Lowe. Sidney Lowe was spectacular in that championship game. I spent a lot of the game gardening and the scouting report was I was kind of left as a, as a, as a rover. I could roam and, and double down and dig down on the bigs and you know, in shade over towards Wittenberg because you know the scouting report was that Sidney Lowe can't beat you. Well, after he hit about his fifth or sixth jump shot, that scouting report went out the window, <laughs> um, and Sidney Lowe was the difference in that game. So, so Sid and I we're in the we're in the CBA playoffs, and we are in I want to say Casper, Wyoming, some godforsaken place, and uh, we're sitting in the airport. And, and, and we're sitting there in the in the bar waiting for the plane, having a burger. He and I have never talked about the game. Not one time did we talk about the game. And so it's just the two of us sitting there and we're watching the T V and it it's N C A tournament time and up pops the replay. And we're sitting there, it's dead quiet. It's probably one AM, you know, we're waiting for a red eye. Nobody else in the in the in the entire restaurant and I and I had the same thought just kept going through my mind. Don't look at it. <laughs> don't look at him, don't look at him, and sure enough, I look over at him, and he's got this little smart-ass grin on his face, and he's holding his left hand up, and he's twisting his national championship ring. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, dog, I mean, what are the chances of that playing out, where I'm sitting in a restaurant with Sidney Lowe, having dinner, and watching that replay, That that was miserable. Oh, my goodness.
1: Uh, th- one of the things that you hear is the, the altitude in Albuquerque. Uh, was it that big of a difference? Do you feel like the Final Four is played somewhere else, and maybe you guys are a little bit better in that final game?
0: No. Uh, I, I, the, the first answer to your question, was it a big deal? The answer is yes, absolutely. It was a huge big deal. It was hard to, to catch your second wind, but then you fatigued. Um, it was it, it was a significant impact. But come on, it was a, you know NC State is in, not up in the mountains, you know Louis, Louisville's not you know in, in, in some high altitude. It, it, we all played in the same conditions, so I, I don't think I think it had an impact on the game, but I think it was an it had equal impact on everybody.
1: One of the amazing things about those teams was all the local talent. You played for Memorial. Uh, Mr. Mean played for Worthing. Clyde was at Sterling. Michael Young at Yates. I'm probably forgetting some of the guys, but...
0: Eric Dickens at Madison. Alvin Franklin was at Lamarck. Um, Gary Orsack was at um, Alvin. Um, so the entire team, with the exception of Clyde, the entire team.
1: And, and you once said that Guy V could recruit or Guy V said he could recruit that team on a, on a bicycle.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Um, you know, and in, in, in that was really cool, too. You know, it was, it was cool that it was the city's team. And, you know, anytime you say that, you got to go, yeah, the big Nigerian had a little bit to do with that also. But it was a really, um, it, it was a unique team. And really, it's, it's always been the formula of success at university of houston and it's exactly what tom herman's doing right now and it's what kelvin sampson's you know trying to do and and that is the formula for that program for that school athletically to be successful
1: i want to ask you one thing about michael young because his boys are has played over at yates and i even did a story on his daughter who's a hell of a track star at lamar and then joseph gets drafted by larry bird's team the pacers the big irony is Michael was drafted in the first round by the Celtics back in the day and probably spent some time with Larry at that point. But what was it like playing with Michael?
0: Clyde and Akeem kind of sucked the air out of the room as far as attention goes. Mike was such a stud. I mean... He had this unorthodox kind of ugly looking left-handed jump shot. He, he overextended. It was back behind his release point it was back behind his head. Absolutely the purest, best shooter I, I maybe I've ever seen. To have that ugly of a shot. You know, it's kind of like Sean Marion where, you know, the smartest thing somebody did early on was not change it. Because if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And Mike was, golly, he was so good. And he's Six 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 seven at the time probably, you know, 225, look, look, was more cut than half the football players on campus and could have walked out and been a NFL tight end or middle linebacker. I mean, just an absolute specimen, never got tired, never complained, what, what, kept his mouth shut and just killed people. I mean, he was so good. And I'm not sure that he's always, you know, because he didn't go on and have a Hall of Fame NBA career. To me, he's the one guy that kind of gets lost as far as our superstars. And man, he was a superstar in every shape of the word. Uh, He was an absolute stud. I, I had so much respect for Mike and the way he went about his life and the way he conducted himself on the court and off the court and. Huge admiration for Mike Young. Mike Young was lifting weights before anybody in basketball was lifting weights. He grew up with a guy, and I can't remember his name, who, who was a strength coach, and Mike would go to his garage in high school, you know, and turned his body into this unbelievable specimen at a time that nobody else was doing that in, in college basketball. Well, man, I
1: really appreciate you taking the time to do this. I I can't tell you how much I'm looking forward to see in the film, but it was just great to really get the chance to talk to you about Five Slam Jamma and all the great memories that you guys gave us that were all the fans and the kids back in that time.
0: Well, thanks. I I enjoyed it as well. And really looking forward to the 30 for 30. I I hope it does justice and I hope it's uh, something that will honor Coach Lewis.